With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pampers Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Eva Longoria Vasson began her career as an actress, but she always knew that she wanted more. And so she got to work, earning her master's, political organizing, directing, producing, and building the Eva empire. She's got a new podcast on iHeartRadio, Connections with Eva Longoria. Her directorial feature debut, Flamin' Hot, which tells the story of Richard Montanez turning Flamin' Hot Cheetos into a global pop culture phenomenon, is already getting Oscar buzz. And she recorded this interview from Oaxaca, where she is filming her new CNN show, Searching for Mexico. Eva gets candid about everything from divorce to motherhood to finding her purpose, and why she always knew that no matter what she did, she would find success. Eva, hello. Thank you for doing this. I've been dying to do your podcast, like dying. You have so many amazing guests. Um, I have to tell you how much this means to me because when we launched three years ago, everyone kept saying, well, you have to get Eva Longoria. You have to get Eva Longoria. And I was like, the most famous Latina in America is not going to do a podcast with someone she doesn't know (laughs) that has no following season one. Like she'll come to us later. And here you are. I'm here. Honestly, I had been listening to you and then I just didn't have anything to talk about for a long time. Like I was just like my keeping my head down and my feet moving. I was working. And then now I have all this stuff happening and going on. And I was like, maybe I should do some podcasts. <laughs> your head is always down and your feet are always walking. And what I want to talk about today is the business of being and becoming Eva Longoria. And I want you to start by taking me back to your decision to do that scholarship competition, beauty pageant, your final year of college, because I really do think that sets the groundwork for a lot of your story. 
Oh my God, totally. Well, first I'm from Texas. So Texas is about pageants and football. Like that's the thing. You know, I was never a pageant girl. I was already a senior in college. I was like 20 years old and I ran out of Pell Grants and financial aid and I couldn't pay for my senior year. And a friend of mine was like, why don't you join the scholarship pageant? And I was like, like a beauty pageant? She's, and it's just like, yeah, but you get a scholar, like you get money if you win for school. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. So I looked at the prizes and I was like, oh my gosh, if I could just get fourth place. All I wanted was fourth place because that was like books. And I was like, okay. And then uh, I entered and I ended up winning. And the main prize was tuition, books, uh, boarding, you know, a stipend. And and I was like, oh my God, this is so crazy. Uh, but because I won that one, I had to go to another one. I had to go to the next um, competition. I was like, oh God, no, I don't want to keep, I don't want to keep being a beauty pageant. So like, <laughs> so I take like my money the, and go. Yes. I want to, I'm cashing out. <laughs> cashing out. So I got to finish college and then I had to go to this other pageant, which was Miss Corpus Christi. And then I won that one. And in that prize package was a trip to Los Angeles. And I was like, huh, okay, I'll go. I mean, I had just graduated. I was like, hey, why not? And then I got to LA and literally just one day to the next, I was like, I'm going to be an actress. I mean, never dreamt of it, never thought of it, never watched movies, never had role models of like, I want to be Salma Hayek, like never, never. I don't know where it came from. It just... You were going to be like an athletic trainer on a sports team. Oh, yeah. My dream was to work for the Dallas Cowboys. Like that was my dream was to be a sports trainer for the Dallas Cowboys. And then I had some internships, you know, taping ankles for football teams. And I was like, yeah, this is gross. I don't want to be around athletes' feet all the time. Uh, <laughs> but I really... Yeah, my, my, my bachelor's degree is in exercise science and kinesiology. I was like, I'm going to be a physical therapist. I'm going to, I just loved the movement of the body. And I was like super fit and into fitness. And, and then I just go, meh, meh, let's be an actor. <laughs> I want to underline a piece of this story, which is that it's confusing now because you are a legendary beauty, but at the time right. your family <laughs> I wasn't. was like, a beauty pageant? Yes. They, my mom's like, is that really a good idea, honey? And I was like, mom, I need a dress. And then my other sister's like, you need a gown. It's called a gown. Like all my sisters are making fun of me. And I was just like, whatever, the thing with the beads. I don't know. Like I was just la prieta fea. I was the ugly dark one in my family. They were all laughing that I was even in a pageant. Even to this day, they think it's hilarious that I'm with L'Oreal. Like they're like, okay, you're the beauty standard. <laughs> Nothing like family to keep you grounded. They didn't value beauty in my family. They weren't, you know, there was the smart one and there was the funny one and there was the feisty one or the independent one and the, like nobody was there. Oh, and she's the pretty one. Like that just wasn't valued in the women of my family. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. 
Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the ball is filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. One of the many ways in which you're super Latina is that you never have one job at, at a time. Mm-hmm. So, so you land in LA, you start working as a headhunter, mm-hmm. and I love you get cast on a soap and you still just keep headhunting. Yes, because I couldn't make enough money on the soap. Um, but no, when I moved to LA, I had a degree. I was just like, um, I want to work in an office. And so I went to the temp agency and they they hired me. They were like, you know, why don't you work here? And I was like, what is, what is this? And they were like, oh, it's like matchmaking. There's jobs and people and you put them together. And I was like, okay. And I was really good at it. I mean, it was like no brain, no brainer. Like it was so easy to me and I was making so much money. And I was like 22 years old, making a really good, I had an apartment, I had a car, I could pay for my headshots. I paid for my acting class. I was, so I was not a struggling actor because I was like, I have a nine to five job. And then I would sneak out and go do my auditions. And I would use the company's postage to send out my submissions. I don't know if they know that, but they will now. Uh, and, uh, and so then I got my big break on Young and the Restless. And it was paying like $900 a month. I mean, it was something like before taxes. And I was like, um, yeah, I can't, I can't live on that. I have an apartment. I have a car. I have insurance. So I would do it out of my dressing room at Young and the Restless. And I just kept being a headhunter because I made more money headhunting than I was making acting. Right. But just to build on the pattern here, then you get your actual big break on yeah. Desperate Housewives and <laughs> to complicate matters. And this is where it comes full circle to this idea of beauty not being valued in your family, but education, intellect yeah. being valued. You decide you need to go back to school in the middle of filming the you know biggest show in the world at that time to get a master's degree because, of course. Because I was the underachiever in my family. My mom was like, eh, all your sisters have a master's, you don't. And I was like, right. Everyone in China, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a mom. You know, people know me in Australia and India. And she's like, right, but you don't have a master's. And so I went back at the height of Housewives. I love academia and I, I want to get another master's. I want to get a doctorate. It's like, I, I really love, love it. But there's a lot of people that fall into the trap of academia and never apply it in life. And the whole point of me going back to my master's was to you know, apply it to my activism and my philanthropy and really to use that information and go, okay, this is what I've learned. Now, how can I make sustainable, effective change in my community with this information? Would you have done in spades? I mean, Eva's Heroes, 
Latino Victory Project, Poderistas. And as your star rose, did anybody try to pull you back from that to say the politics aren't worth it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're like, don't, nobody cares what you have to say. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not telling people what to think. I'm telling people to think for themselves and to pay attention. And I think, you know, when people go, Eva, you're the voice of the Latino community. I'm not the voice of, I'm not, I don't speak for the Latino community, or I don't speak for women. I tell women, speak for yourselves and look at these issues, look at what's going on. And a lot of times, you know, that was like the inset, the birth of uh, Poderistas was us to just build this platform to show Latinas, this is important. You might want to see this. Look at o- over here, because in our life, there are so many distractions of life, of childcare and work and your husband and your marriage and your you know relationships and your family and that you go, wait, what's happening with the environment? You know, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, this is happening. You're like, what? So just pulling focus and going, oh, yeah, uh, you know, over here, you know, you should probably look at this. And then having people pay attention creates change. I remember, and forgive me because I was trying to find this on YouTube and I couldn't find the moment. It was you on stage during one of the award shows during the Desperate Housewives period. And Terry Hatcher sort of referred to you as like the little one who who can is still skinny enough to order pizza. <laughs> and I, I think about that moment and how you you could have been a flash in the pan, uh-huh. right? There are a lot of like really telegenic, talented girls who make their way through Hollywood, have a big show. And then we never hear about them again. And my perception of you as an outsider was that this didn't all happen Mm. to you, that you very much knew what you wanted, took the bull by the horns, and made it happen for yourself. So I want you to talk me through Mm -hmm. what that required of you to go from the height of housewives to where we find you now, where there is really early chatter about an Oscar nom for best director for mm-hmm. Flame and Hot. Like, how do you go from mm-hmm. here to there? I think a big thing for me was I was older when I became quote unquote famous. I was 29. You I were was 30. almost 30. Yeah. I was like 30. I knew who I was. I, you know, had such a grounded family. I, you know, I think a lot of times when you, start in this business and the tabloids can define you of like America's sweetheart or uh, America's bad girl or like you just fall into these like, okay, I'm going to be that then if that's what they say I am. And I just, you know, it was like, whatever, sure. You know, they called me sexy. I was like, great, love it. Thank you. Which sometimes meant you couldn't be smart. And I just was like, well, but I'm, I can be both. So I'm going to be both. And getting out of Housewives, I will tell you, I mean, that was a decade of my life. And there was so much I wanted to do and couldn't because the show, you know, took all year to record. So I used Desperate Housewives as my film school and I, you know, paid attention. I mean, people always go, you do your makeup so well. I go, I've been in a makeup chair for 25 years. If you don't pick up something, then you're not paying attention. And I feel the same way with being on a set. Like, you know, I know where the lights go. I know where the camera is. I know the lenses. I know the shot. And it was just made sense to me and it all clicked and it was all... I wouldn't say easy, but it came natural to me. Like I, I just got it. And yeah, I had some great mentors and they were like, work, you've got to direct. You just keep doing it. And so literally what I just said at the top of this podcast was like, I put my head down and my feet moving and I directed a lot of TV, a lot from Mark Cherry because we were uh, producing Devious Maids together, but Blackish, Jane the Virgin, you know, I, I just kept 
going. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. LA to Vegas. I did a lot of the mix and I was just wanting to do more and more and more and more to get a lot of experience under my belt. And then one day I looked up and it's been 10 years. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've been directing for 10 years. Like, when did that happen? I went from TV to pilots and I um, directed this pilot for the CW that's now on Netflix called Glamorous. And then I directed Gordita Chronicles for HBO Max, which will be coming out this summer. So good. And so once my my pilot started getting picked up, people were like, oh, okay, so she's a, she's a world creator. She can do maybe film. And I was like, I never had it. I, I love the medium of television. And when I was like, I mean, do I want to do film? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was just like, it wasn't like I, I, I was calculated about it. But then my agent sent me the script, Flaming Hot, and I read it and I was like, I need to tell this story. His story is my story. His story is our story. And I remember my agent telling me that it's a long shot because it's Searchlight, your first time feature director. I'm like, I've been directing for 10 years. I'm not a first time director. And they're like, well, first time feature. And so I just worked my ass off to do this presentation to get the job. But, but the point is like, I was definitely calculated about being successful. You know, and I didn't know if that was going to be a successful actor, a successful director, success, like, like, I just knew it was like, I got to be successful, whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do 110%. And I knew that from when I was eight, like, you know, like, I knew I was going to be successful. I don't care if I was a dentist, or a lawyer, but I knew I was going to be really good at it. And I think that's what it kind of takes is like this. It's not even, it's not just optimism because I'm a huge optimist, but it's the, I can do it and I'll do whatever it takes to get it done. And that's a lot of discipline and sacrifice and focus. And, you know, I work out every day. I am with my son every day. I, I work every day. I write every day. I journal, I meditate, like I do everything. People go, how do you do it all? And I was like, you waste a lot more time than you think in your day. Like there's a lot of, wasted time. I don't do that. I'm very efficient with my day. Hence the reason this podcast was like in this window of like, it'll be from 9.34 to 10.03, this podcast. (laughs) But beyond the efficiency, like you're in Oaxaca right now doing Search for Mexico, your CNN show. You have your podcast, Connections with Eva Longoria. You have Flamin' Hot. That's going to be your directorial debut on film. You're the co-founder of Casa de Sol Tequila, Oh, uh, yes. I mean, so as a hyper-efficient person and, and a high achiever, I look at you and I am deeply envious. And and I also just, I, I see you all the time and I'm just like, how? How? I think I am getting a lot done in a day. Yeah. You are getting more done. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, part of that also has to be the apparatus that you have built around yourself. It's absolutely, absolutely. Look, I have the means to have an amazing staff that I can delegate to. You start to build the team around you that knows you, gets you, understands you, and knows how you work. And my family's support system, like my husband's here with me. So my husband's, you know, I was like, I got a podcast, take the kid out. And he's like, got it, done, you know? And uh, and so, yeah, look, you think you get a lot done and then you think I'm doing more than you. My mother does more than both of us combined, right? Like I'm like, so that's my bar is like, I see my mom who raised four girls one with special needs, was a human taxi, dropping us all over the place, all over town, and had a full-time job as a teacher. 
uh, special education teacher and had dinner on the table every night at six o'clock and never missed a band recital, never missed a practice, never missed a cheerleading game ne- for any of us. Like, I don't, I really think there was four of her growing up and never got sick. I've never seen my mother have a cold or a cough or she never got COVID, God bless. But like, I was like, you are an alien, mom. You're an alien. And so that's what I think. That's what I have to live up to. And so for me, I'm like, not never, it's never enough. I can't do enough. It makes perfect sense that an alien birthed you and not yeah. an actual human. That might actually be the answer to my question. Um, I think of this idea of editing, refining. I know you do emotional spring cleaning, which I love. And I'm going to Mm-hmm. start taking on. You have been married more than once and we are part of a culture. <laughs> we were just talking like about that? this last night because something, I don't know what was in a, I don't know what we're reading. And I go, oh my God, that guy was on a show with my ex-husband and my, and somebody goes, they were on a show with Tony. And I go, no, no, the other, no, the other ex-husband. They're like, you were married before? I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. It was so funny. It was like, I, I forget how many times I've been married. We tend to frame it, especially in our community as a failure. And I wonder for you how you now think about it. Well, I've always thought about it in the sense of you have to be happy. Like you've got to be happy at the end of the day. And somebody told me this and and I thought it was the greatest advice because it was pertaining to it. I was like, I, gotta, I don't want to get divorced. I got to get divorced. And she goes, you know, you can make a mistake, but you shouldn't live a mistake. And I was like, oh my God, I'm living like... I shouldn't have gotten married. And I was living in this mistake in my first marriage. Like we went, we went to Vegas, we got married. We're like, we didn't know each other. And I was like, no, I have to stick through this. You know, and she was like, no, 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 that was a dumb, that was a dumb idea. <laughs> like, and, uh, and, and it could be a pr- pr- great person. It's just not the right time, not the right person for you. And so for me, and people go, oh my God, Eva, you've been married, you know, three times. You've been so unlucky in love. And I always go, I've been super lucky in love. I've gotten married three times. <laughs> like I really see it half glass full where I'm like, I've got, I fell in love with him and I fell in love with him and I fell in love with him. Like that's pretty cool. I get to experience all this love in my life. And uh, divorce doesn't have to be ugly and horrible. Like, you know, there's so many people that have redefined that, that concept as well of like, Hey, let's co-parent. Let's be friends. Let's, you know, not have drama. And you go, Oh my God, that's such a healthy divorce. You're like, yeah, it doesn't have to be crazy either. So I just think, yeah, there's a lot of conversation around it. And I think specifically for the Latino community and Latinas, there's definitely a stigma of failure to it. And I remember getting, being terrified to tell my parents I was getting divorced from my first, first husband. Um, and my mom was like, it's fine. You know, she's like, okay. Um, and I was like, oh, you're not, you're not mad. But I remember feeling that pressure. Now I don't care. <laughs> but back then I remember it being a thing of like, oh God, how am I going to tell my parents? I don't know if you'll remember this about three years ago when you were doing Grand Hotel, I interviewed you and the entire, um, yeah, um, yeah. I was very pregnant. And I remember being very pregnant and you sort of like, I especially felt I had to sprint to show everyone that I could do all the things that I did before I got pregnant. I turn around and I see you in like businesswoman mode, right? Because you're there as an actress, but you're fundamentally there as a producer. And you had Santi with you. You had your son with you. And even though this was not my first pregnancy, it was a second time mom, it gave me such a whew of like, okay, 
Like there are ways to do this. And your way may not look like my way, may not look like her way, but like I can be all of these things at once. And I can give myself permission to be all of these things at once. How has having Santi, how has being a mom, how has that changed all of this? Well, it's funny you say that because you look, you seeing me, I was on, I felt the same way when I was pregnant. I was directing till I was eight months. I mean, I was huge. I remember being pregnant and thinking, oh my God, I've got to show people I can be just as good as I was not pregnant. But it was funny because when you're pregnant, everybody like opens doors for you and is like, are you okay? Do you want some water? Do you want to sit down? Da, 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 da. But once you have a baby and you're on a plane with a baby and a, and a diaper bag and a stroller, everybody's passing you. They're like, excuse me, move it, move it. I'm like, no, that's when we need help. <laughs> But no, I remember feeling that too of like, I have to do everything. And then I let it go. I was like, I don't care. And I remember having Santi and directing as well. So I really never stopped working. Not that I recommend that. I just, that was me. Like, I was just like, I'm going to, I got to keep going. That's what I have to do. And so Santi was at eight weeks. No, maybe it was six weeks. I was still breastfeeding and I was on the set of Grand Hotel directing. And I was like, how am I going to pump and breastfeed? being on a set for 12 hours. And I was like, uh, I'm just going to do it. And he's going to say, all right, sorry guys. I need, I need, you know, I need 30 minutes. I got to go pump. I got to go breastfeed. I got to go pump and then I'll be back. And, um, and I just, I would breastfeed Santi on set. And I had so many women on that set come up to me crying, going, I've never seen a woman just do it. Like I was always embarrassed to even ask for time to do it, much less do it on set or, I, I didn't want to take time off because I was nervous they were going to fire me or whatever. And I think that's part of us normalizing motherhood, right? Like we're, we're all moms. This is like humanity. I'm procreating. I have to sustain this child with my breast milk. So I also am going to work. And so, you know, that's all okay. And everybody was so kind and happy about it. It wasn't a thing. Or I would just, you know, I just hold him and breastfeed him with a shawl over me. And I have so many videos of me breastfeeding Santi saying, and action, you know, and action. There he is on my boob. Um, and I just love those photos, but just the, the women that came up to me and were like, thank you for doing it. So why is there shame or guilt about it? And just, I mean, I also think I'm not doing parenting hundred percent all the time and I'm not being a great businesswoman hundred percent all the time. I have moments where I'm great at both. And then there's moments where I may miss something in Santi's life and I may miss an opportunity in work. It's just a fact. And I just don't really put too much pressure on myself to be perfect for both all the time. I've been listening and enjoying your podcast Connections with Eva Longoria, but I notice something that comes up a lot for you, which is this idea of people's purpose. Yeah. And I wonder for you what, what you define as your purpose and how you got to that definition. Gosh. I haven't come to it yet. <laughs> I haven't come to my purpose in life yet. I do think a grander purpose of humanity and human beings is to love. And that's been pretty consistent in any of the podcasts I've already recorded for, for connections with Eva. But every single one of them comes back to love, whether it's loving yourself, loving your neighbor, loving each other. I had Dr. Brian Weiss on, who's like a past life regression believes in the past lives and why we're here and 
And then Jay Shetty is a spirituality guru today. And, and they all kind of say the same thing, like our sole purpose on this, in this earth is to love. And I, so I think my greater, greatest, greater purpose is to love. So I, I try very hard in my day to interact with people in a genuine way where they feel heard or supported or loved. Like, wow, that was a great interaction with somebody I didn't know, or that was a great interaction with Eva. I, I didn't know she was that way, or of course she's that way. There's so many people that are always surprised when somebody's not an asshole and they're like, I met Eva and she was so nice. Like they're super surprised by it. And you're like, why aren't you surprised when people are an asshole? Like everybody should be kind to each other. And so for me, I think, I mean, that is, you know, my purpose, but like more specifically, I don't know yet. And I think it's okay because the part of the fun of life is finding that purpose. You got to at least be headed facing a direction of like, this is where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going to end up, but I, this is where I'm going. I have goals and I, I, I like my, my, the purpose of my production company is job creation for Latinos. I mean, that's in front of and behind the camera. Like that's definitely my goal and my purpose in producing and directing. But I think it's all part of a greater scheme of making sure our community is loved by everybody. Eva Longoria, this was such a gift. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let me tell you what you're doing with this podcast and talking to um, so many women and so many Latinas is something to be applauded. The fact that you've been doing it for three years, you've touched so many people and I've been such a fan of it for so long. And I just think you kudos to you and everything you're doing. You're doing it and you're doing it well. Okay. I'm going to get off before I cry. Thank you so much. Thank you, as always, for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Paulina Velasco is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer and mix this episode. We love hearing from you. It makes our day. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Tweet us at latinatolatina. Check out our merchandise that is on our website, latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember, please subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you are listening right now. Every time you share this podcast, every time you share an episode, every time you leave a review, it helps us to grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.